Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create and grow income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Are you tired of trading your time for money? Do you desire freedom today instead of retirement in 10, 20, or 30 years? I'm MC Lobsher, and this is the Cashflow Ninja. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas. MC Lobsher here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today. In today's show, we're going to look at how to achieve success as a real estate entrepreneur through visionary leadership. My guest in this episode is Greg Dickerson. Greg is a serial entrepreneur, real estate investor, and developer. And over the past 20 years, he has bought, developed, and sold over $200 million in real estate, built and renovated hundreds of custom homes and commercial buildings and started 12 different companies from the ground up. Greg is an expert on the topics of real estate investing, real estate development, and entrepreneurship. He has spoken at industry conferences and mastermind events around the country. He's been a guest commentator on Fox Business with Neil Cavuto and the Dave Ramsey Show, and is regularly interviewed on some of the top real estate investing and business podcasts today. If you're interested in joining our investors group, you could go to cashflowninja.com forward slash investors group and fill out an application form and or email me at info cashflowninja.com to start the discussion to see if you're a good fit for our group. And if you're in the Philadelphia, Bucks County and Southern New Jersey area, we are hosting a live investors meetup event every month in Newtown, Pennsylvania. For more information on the monthly event and information on how you can join us at our next live event, you could go to cashflowninja.com forward slash events. MC Lobshire, the host of the Cashflow Ninja podcast and also the president and chief wealth and investment strategist of Producers Wealth, where we help our clients integrate cashflow banking, also known as infinite banking, with their business and investments. If you're interested in learning more about how we create strategies that integrate cash flow banking and investments to turbocharge them, you can access a video series at yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. Greg, welcome to the show. MC, thank you for having me. Can you please share a little bit about your background and journey with my listeners? Yeah, so um, I went into the uh, Navy right out of high school. I skipped college. And uh, after I got out of the Navy, uh, I was working in restaurants and construction. And it's the only two things I've done my entire life. And uh, uh, in 1997, I uh, stepped out on my own full time as a uh, small remodeling um, handyman contractor, did 250000 my first year in, in sales. And then I uh, grew that business into a $30 million company seven years later and started about 12 other companies. Uh, along the way while I did all that and, and learned how to get into land development and commercial development, multifamily and, and things like that all along the way. So that's the short version of it. It's, it's been a long journey. It's been since 1997 that I've been on my own um, doing deals and, and starting companies. And, uh, you know, like I said, right out of high school, I just went to work, worked hard and learned fast. And what a journey it has been so far. Um from an investment perspective, uh, Greg, uh, what is there a checklist, a framework that you draw upon um, when you do your make your business decisions and your investment decisions? Yeah, absolutely. So I've done about two. I bought, developed, and sold over two hundred million dollars in real estate while I built that company um, and started all the other companies. So I've been investing and developing along the way. And for me, 
it always begins with an exit strategy. Um, so I'm a, I'm a builder developer, um, you know, by nature, by trade. That's just how I started in the business as a builder. So I approach everything from the perspective of the end product, right? As a builder, you're looking at the blueprints, you, you visualize the end product, and then you, you, you know, work your way to that, you know, ground up outside in. When I look at an investment, whether it's an existing asset, no matter what class it is, no matter what type of, of asset it is, I always look at what's the highest and best use of that product, that property. Same thing with a company. I do equity capital as well. So if I'm looking at a company or a business, uh, I look at the scalability of it. I look at what is the what is the end game, and then I make all my decisions by reverse engineering the process from there. And let's touch on the current market uh, conditions of what what you're seeing currently in the economy. I know markets are very specific, but what are you seeing out in real estate markets that you operate in? Um, as far as where we are in the economic and asset cycles? So I'm primarily active in the Southeast from Florida up through the uh, Carolinas into Virginia, up into Northern Virginia, around DC, into Maryland, Pennsylvania. So I kind of stay in that, that area of the Southeast region. You know, probably Maryland's as far north as I'll go. I uh, haven't really done anything in Pennsylvania. But I do follow real estate markets all across the country. And you know, right now it is it is a very active market. It's very hot. There's a lot of capital uh, looking for you know good assets. Um, a lot of people looking for warehouses for cash. You know, for a bond. So uh, there's a lot of competition out there for certain asset classes, especially a multifamily. Cap rates are compressed right now. There's a lot of competition um, for the multifamily product, especially in the value add um, sector as well as the stabilized assets. Um, where those uh, entities looking for the warehousing of cash and, and the bond situations, you know, going after the Class A assets. And then there's there's a lot of investors coming out of the house flipping wholesaling world that are getting into the value add syndicated real estate sector uh, on the multifamily. So that's putting a lot of pressure on, on multifamily properties. Uh, as far as office goes, you know, with a few insulated, um, very highly dense urban markets like a Charlotte, like a D.C., a Raleigh, uh, or not Raleigh, but Atlanta, you know, San Francisco, San Diego, your big metros. Um, you know, if you take those out of the equation, uh, most areas are um, oversupplied with office product um, and uh, oversupplied with retail. Now, you know, retail, there's a lot of different, you know, types of retail. You have your malls and your power centers, your strip centers, your neighborhood centers, things like that. Um you know, but but retail, as we know, that whole landscape is changing. The the suburban shopping mall landscape is changing. So those uh, those assets are under pressure as well in terms of uh, vacancies and large big box you know chains going out of business all the time. Where you have the triple net freestanding uh, buildings that are going vacant, going dark that had big users in them. So owners and developers are having to be creative in terms of how to reuse and repurpose those those types of properties. Uh, then you have your urban cores. So I, I really like urban cores. So you go into smaller secondary tertiary markets and you get into, you find an urban center, urban core market, and there's a lot of development and, um, you know, gentrification going on in a lot of those areas. So I like to get into those areas and do some mixed use, adaptive reuse type, um, type product in and around urban cores, like in a, like in a downtown Richmond or, you know, some suburbs of DC, uh, like in Alexandria, Vienna, Arlington, you know, those types of areas. Uh, you can get into like Raleigh, North Carolina, um, you know, Norfolk, Virginia, uh, in terms of my markets, um, you know, smaller secondary and tertiary markets where you've, you've got a lot of that going on. So 
that's kind of what we're seeing across the board. The residential real estate sector is still strong. There's still pockets that are very hot where properties are selling in days. Um, but we did see a softening uh, last fall uh, going into the into the winter with interest rates rising. You know that that put a lot of pressure on residential and um, created a little bit of a funk in most markets where properties were sitting a little bit longer. We saw prices drop for the first time uh, in a long time. We saw days on markets picking up in a lot of areas. But that being said, there were still pockets that were very hot. But your really high end markets like Seattle, San Francisco, you know some areas in California. Um, you know, they were under pressure and, and we saw some values declining in those areas a little bit. But, you know, things have strengthened again a little bit since interest rates uh, came back down. Um, so really, when it comes down to real estate and gauging the market, um, you got to look for a couple of things. You got to look at the treasuries and you got to look at interest rates uh, because they're related. And as long as our interest rates stay sub 5%, you know, we are in pretty good shape. Uh, as soon as we start approaching and, and crossing that threshold, we're going to be in real trouble. So, that's the biggest indicator for anybody to watch in real estate to know when it's time to pull back. Very, very interesting. Uh, now, one of the things that I'm excited to jump into today is talk a little bit more about opportunity zones and opportunity zone projects. Now, some of our listeners might have heard of this, but I'm sure the majority of folks are not familiar with opportunity zones. And I myself would love to learn more about this as well. So for folks that are not familiar with opportunity zone projects and opportunity zones, um, can you share a little bit more of what it is and, and basically how it works? Yeah, so opportunity zones are investment areas um, that were created with the new tax um, act in 20, 2017, I think it was, uh, when this came about. So a committee was put together to uh, create economic development areas to encourage investment in business and in real estate. Uh, so all of the governors of all the states were given the uh, ability to des designate zones in their states as opportunity zones. So what this does is it's supposed to support it's uh, supposed to spur economic development in depressed areas. Now what's happening is um, some of these areas are turning out to be really great areas and really good locations um, that just happen to be in opportunity zones because there might be some lower income. Um, areas surrounding it or some more areas, rural, rural areas surrounding it. Um, so you can Google opportunity zones. You can kind of see where they are. There's maps that'll show you where they're at. You can Google it in your state, see where the opportunity zones are in your state. Uh, and there's new uh, regulations and guidance of clarification coming out by the end of this month from the uh, Treasury and the IRS or the Department of Labor and the IRS uh, in terms of some rulings that we've been waiting on regarding of uh, investing in businesses and, um, you know, things like that. You know, initially they were saying in order to invest in a business uh, in an opportunity zone, the business had to derive 50% of its income from that opportunity zone, which is very prohibitive. The idea was to help the business grow by doing business all over the world because we're a global economy. So there's several rulings like that that are going to be changed in, uh, in the opportunity zone um, laws and structure uh, so that we're going to see that coming out hopefully by the end of this month. But basically what it is, is these opportunity zones were created. So an investor can take capital gains of any kind, any asset. If it's a capital gain, um, you can take it and invest it in an opportunity zone project or business, um, an opportunity zone fund. And um, you can defer your capital gains by 10% after the first five years. You get an additional write down of 5% after seven years. And if you keep it in 10 years, everything that you earn on that gain is tax free. 
So it can be a pretty lucrative vehicle for somebody who has, you know, significant gains that they're, you know, they're looking to write down and defer. But the big, uh, the big win is the profit that you earn on those gains after the 10 year period. So again, we're waiting on some guidance on the rulings, uh, on the rules regarding, uh, investing in businesses that are in the zone. Uh, right now they say that the business has to get half of its income from the zone. Um, which they're changing that so that you can do business anywhere in the world. Um, the other thing uh, is uh, rollover. Uh, so can you refinance? Can you sell and then roll that uh, that uh, initial gain investment back into another project and keep it going? So we're waiting on recycling of capital, uh, a ruling on that. So it's an exciting month. There's a lot of great rulings coming out and um, there's a lot of capital out there looking for opportunities on projects and and we've got several going on. We've kind of created a, um, we're not a fund, but we are uh, developers that have product and projects available for the funds to invest in. There's a lot of groups out there that have created opportunities on funds that are taking uh, capital gains from investors, pooling them together to invest in projects like we're doing. Very interesting. Uh, Greg, do you mind touching a little bit on uh, and sharing a little bit more some of these projects that you guys uh, are working on? Yeah, so we have some multifamily. So we're doing ground up. So one of the challenges with the Opportunity Zone um, investing is if you're investing in real estate, you have to improve the real estate to the value of the structure. So if you buy a building, you cannot buy a performing apartment building like a typical, you know, value add class B syndicated apartment building. Um, and it cannot be operating. So it's got to be a non-operating asset that you invest in. We're waiting on some guidance there as well. They may change that up a little bit. But right now, the way the rule is, if you buy a building to invest in, you have to put the same amount of capital into the project uh, that's equal to the value of the structure, not the land. So if it's a $5 million building and the land's a million bucks, you got to spend $4 million improving the building. And it cannot be in operation while you're doing it. You cannot, it cannot be an operating business. Um, now, uh, with vacant land, that's very easy because there's no improvement. So whatever you build is going to, is going to, you know, reach that threshold. So, we are focusing on ground up projects right now, just, just because there, there is land available. That's the slowest moving segment of most markets is land. And we found some really good lots that just happen to be in opportunity zones. And we're doing some uh, multifamily projects, um, you know, 300 to 400 unit ground up multifamily projects, 30 to $40 million projects. And we've got some hotels that we're doing ground up uh, in the uh, you know, 15 to $30 million range. 90 uh, to 100 keys on some of the projects on the mid scale. We've got some upper scale, um, upscale uh, select serve hotels that are in the 20, $25 million range uh, that are about 132 keys uh, in, in different markets throughout the Southeast. So we're kind of focused on that right now. Uh, and we are, we are trying to create um, great opportunity projects for the opportunity zone funds to go into. Again, we've got some really good sites that just happen to be in the opportunity zones but they are great sites on their own and would stand alone on, the, on their own as an investment um, with the opportunity zone set aside. So that's one real key is, you know, the opportunity zone projects, um, you cannot rely on the opportunity zone um, enhancements in order to make that project work. It has to be a great project already on its own merits that meets the pencil uh, as is. And then the opportunity zone uh, just becomes icing on the cake, right? So, uh, I had a friend of mine that went to a seminar and said he put uh, he put a name tag on and said, uh, I have capital for opportunity zones. And he said 100 people came up to him just pitching him all kinds of deals that were just horrible uh, because they, they thought it was like a tax exchange. Right. So 
Opportunity zone money is not stupid capital like 1031 exchanges can be. Sometimes people will overspend for 1031, but uh, we are not seeing that with opportunity zones. So they have to be good projects first, then the opportunity zone is just added benefit and icing on the cake that makes it a really, really great project. You're listening to The Cashflow Ninja, the show helping people all over the world create monthly cash flow and achieve freedom today, not in 10, 20, 30, and or 40 years. This is a show where cash is not king, but cash flow is king. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. My friend Dave Zook says, you can be conventional or you can be wealthy. Pick one. Dave and his team at The Real Asset Investor have syndicated many successful real estate and ATM projects over the last decade. Now his team has an exclusive opportunity for investors in the coal space. Do you want to be part of an energy project that takes conventional coal and cleans it up by extracting liquids while releasing almost zero emissions? The sale of these liquids can produce strong double-digit cash flow and aggressive tax benefits against ordinary income, all while using America's number one most plentiful resource in a responsible, efficient manner. Now that's non-conventional. For more information on this exclusive opportunity, you can visit therealassetinvestor.com or contact the Real Asset Investor team at info at therealassetinvestor.com. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the United States. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Learn how to find the best deals by downloading your free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. You're listening to The Cashflow Ninja, the show helping people all over the world create monthly cash flow and achieve freedom today, not in 10, 20, 30, and or 40 years. This is the show where cash is not king, but cash flow is king. Now let's return to our interview. What has been uh, some of the secrets to the management success that you've had with all of these projects in, in different niches? Do you? You have one in multifamily. There's one in the hotel space. Uh, what's been some of the success regarding just the, the overall management and the teams uh, with these projects? You know, so for me, I'm very fortunate. Um, I started a long time ago. I've been in the business, you know, 20, what, I don't know, 1997 till now. So how many is that? 22 years that I've been building and developing and I've done everything, uh, every asset class except a hotel. This is my first foray into the hotel development business of porn hotels down and I've renovated them, but I've never built one from the ground up. Um, and I don't do them as a builder. So what I am is I am, I'm a leader. I'm a delegator, motivator. I'm a coach, right? So I find um, great operators. I put that team together. I'm the visionary. I'm the one who creates the opportunity. And then I put the best team together and I lead that team to success, you know, to the, to the end zone. So on these projects, you know, I have architects, engineers, and general contractors uh, that do the building um, and do the day to day. And I just coach them and, and I just, you know, I just lead that team. So, so that's what I am. I'm a leader first and foremost, and, and I find champions and I coach them to success. And, and that's just what I've done my entire career. And I've been fortunate because of where I was located in North Carolina, I was in this coastal region of North Carolina, most of my career before I moved to, to, to Virginia. And, um, I got to meet a lot of people, a lot of developers that were going down there buying beach houses and, and doing things. 
And they were in all different asset classes. I met people that did nothing but uh, shopping centers, you know, grocery anchored shopping centers. Um, I had one, one real good friend that was nothing but storage facilities and apartments. Uh, another guy was gas stations and car washes. Um, uh, you know, just, just all kinds of different things. Office sector. I had people that did nothing but office. Um, you know, some that would do nothing but multifamily. And then you had the developers, you know, like me that did a little bit of everything land, you know, raw land, which I've done, you know, subdivision development, mixed use subdivision development. Um, you know, retail centers, office, um, you know, apartment, just, just different things. So, uh, when you're narrow in your market or your region, you have to be broad in your asset class. And if you want to be focused on an asset class, then you need to be broad in your market, right? So if you want to do nothing but syndicate apartments and that's all you want to do, you're going to have to look all over the country and internationally if, if, if you feel comfortable going internationally. Um, but if you're going to say, I just want to be in the Southeast region, then you kind of, you got to kind of be open to, you know, other asset classes in order to maximize your time. And, and, uh, you know, so I'm a, I'm a multitasker. I'm very efficient. I have no backlog in my life. I take care of everything as it comes in. So I have the ability to manage a lot of different teams because they're managing the day to day. So what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm at the 30,000 foot view tracking teams of very qualified, highly qualified, very professional seasoned, experienced operators at their levels, the architects, the engineers, the general contractors. And then we have third party management companies for all our assets. So I don't manage anything. I'm an asset manager. I'm a human resource manager. So I, I manage people and I manage assets and I lead people um, to uh, lead people to the finish line. So that's just kind of how I'm wired. And, uh, and, 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 you know, like I said, as I've developed my career over the years, I started with real small businesses, real small projects. And I just kind of scaled up over the years and, you know, it's just kind of how I'm wired. I think it goes back to my restaurant training in terms of being able to multitask and do a lot of different things at, at one time. It kind of, it kind of got built into me at a young age. Absolutely. And that's so, so many great points you just made there. Um, leadership. Um, and as you mentioned, as a real estate entrepreneur or as business owners and so forth, you're, you're a leader and you're managing an asset and you're managing managing people. What uh, advice would you give to some of the young leaders and the young business owners out there of some of the, the core tenants um, that they, yeah, that they can use um, in their leadership development? Yeah. So the first thing you got to realize, there is a difference between a leader and a manager, right? So a leader is the visionary, the inspiration. Um, you know, it's the one that sets the vision, casts the vision and inspires others to achieve, right? Mm -hmm. So leaders inspire actions in others. And managers make things happen and get things done, right? So managers are the day-to-day -day of the task-oriented details. Leaders are the ones that inspire managers to get things done and make things happen. So from a leadership development standpoint, um, the first thing you got to realize is the leader sets the pace of the pack. The leader is the one everybody's looking at. And it's not so much what you say, it's what you do. So the leader sets the pace of the pack. Everybody's watching that leader. So you got to remember that at all times, the leader is there to serve everybody in that organization, whether it's your clients, uh, customers, your team, your vendors, your employees, uh, whatever there is in your organization, even all the way back, you know, in, into your home, um, you know, as a leader, we are there to serve all of those that we do business with and everybody that's around us. So I take that corporate pyramid where you have the CEO at the top and then you have the C levels underneath him with the operate COO, C, uh, CIO, CTO, CFO. Underneath them, you have the presidents, then you have your vice presidents. And da, da, da. So if you, if you envision that pyramid with the CEO at top, I flip that upside down. 
and I've always looked at it as an upside down leadership from the bottom up. And I've always put myself as the CEO at the bottom of that pyramid because I, it's my job to give everybody what they need to be successful. I have to give them the vision and I have to give them the inspiration in order for them to achieve. But then I've got to give them the tools, training, systems, and support to be successful. And most importantly, I've got to give them that clear direction in no uncertain terms exactly what I expect and when. And then I've got to measure that performance and hold them accountable. So as a leader in every aspect of that organization, if you're a leader, it's up to you to provide what everybody needs at every layer of that organization to be successful. And the most important thing in that component beyond the tools, training systems, and support is that clear direction. You've got you to cast that vision and you've got to give them a clear direction of exactly what you expect from them and when. And then you've got to measure that performance and hold them accountable. And that's one of the hardest things for leaders to do is to really, you know, nail that down and have that accountability with people. Um, you know, a lot of leaders uh, have trouble delegating. They just don't want to tell people what to do. And then if a goal is not met, they don't quite understand how to handle that situation. And when I say hold people accountable, it doesn't have to be confrontational or uncomfortable. You know, you just very simply sit down and say, you know, here's what we were supposed to do. Here's the result we got. Why did we get this outcome? Was it what we were looking for or was it not? And if it's what you're looking for, great. You praise it, you reward it, and then you move on and you set higher goals and, and higher standards. If you didn't meet the goal that you were after, then the first person you got to look at is yourself. Because as the leader of that organization, every failure, every situation where you do not achieve the desired outcome, you've got to really openly and honestly look at that and evaluate why did I not get what I was looking for? Did I give them you know, the tools, training systems, and support so that they could achieve the goal? And did I give them the clear direction that they needed? And then once you look at that, then you got to evaluate what, what happened. So if you gave them everything they needed to be successful and they still, it still didn't work and all the boxes are checked, then you got to look at the individual and you got to say, well, do I have a can't do or do I have a won't do? So if you've got a can't do, then there's training, right? So if somebody cannot do something, then that's a training situation and you just work that out and you train them and, you know, you give them the support they need. If you've got a won't do, there's nothing you can do but get rid of them and you got to get rid of them quick. And hopefully you can discern that in the, uh, in the uh, recruiting, hiring, and training process so that you can separate that out and, and not get a, get a won't do in your organization to begin with. You know, that all goes down to, you know, uh, hiring people and, and the interview process and, and trying to discern uh, the competencies of an individual before you hire them. But at the end of the day, you just, you know, sometimes you never know until you get somebody in a position. And uh, that's really the two types of people you get, the can't do's and the won't do's. And sometimes if you have a can't do, then, you know, they may not be in the right role. So that's the other big part of leadership is you've got to be able to discern people. You've got to understand what people's gifts and talents are. And um, you hire winners and you put aces in places and you coach them to success. You know, the whole adage of, uh, you know, build on strengths and train on the weaknesses and, you know, fill in the weaknesses and, and things like that. Um, I, you know, you want, you want aces in places. If you want to win the Super Bowl, you've got to hire a quarterback that can throw touchdowns. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to take a quarterback they can't throw touchdowns and put them in place and say, well, he can't pass real good, so we're going to teach him how to run. You know, you, you just don't do that, right? You need a quarterback that can throw touchdowns because that's what that role is. That's what that job is. Um, so you want to find people's strengths, put them in the positions that play to their strengths, and turn them loose and let them do their thing. And then uh, you hire and fill in the weaknesses. Same thing with a leader. The, 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 the second thing I would say for a leader is whatever you're weak at, 
hire people better and smarter than you in those areas and let them do their thing. So hire your weaknesses, put people in place in your weaknesses and have people around you that are smarter and better than you in the organization and listen to them, you know, give them, give them the rope that they need uh, in order to make things happen. Let them make mistakes and, um, and help them achieve success and let them do what you hired them to do. The last thing you want to do as a leader is find great people, put them in a position and not let them do what you've hired them and you're paying them to do. A lot of great, great points there. Uh, has mentorship played a, a very big role in your life? And who are some of the people that you've studied? Yeah, so um, I have learned from the different people that I've worked with and done deals with. I've never had like a official mentor. You know, I've never had anybody that kind of, I mean, I've had a few people that took me under their wing here and there with, with some deals and businesses and things like that. But you know, my management philosophy comes from the book, The One Minute Manager by Ken Blanchard. There's a number of books in that series, The One Minute Manager, Putting the One Minute Manager to Work, Leadership in the One Minute Manager. So that's where my management philosophy comes from, of, you know, the tools, training, system, support, clear direction, leader, sets pace the pack, all that kind of stuff. Uh, great management book, best I've ever read. That's the system that I use to build all of my companies and I still use today to lead the teams that I lead. It is, it is the most effective management system and philosophy out there. Uh, then I read High Output Management by Andy Grove, who was the uh, CEO of, of um, Intel. And uh, he, he's got some really great stuff. And then I read um, Managing by Harold Janine, who was the CEO of ITT. Um, you know, back in the day and one of the most successful multi-conglomerate CEOs we've, we've ever had. Um, so those books were the formation and the basis of my leadership um, foundation of philosophy. But, you know, as I said, I didn't go to college, but I am very self-educated and I've constantly poured into myself over my 22 year career. And, uh, and even to this day, I don't have one song on my iPhone. Uh, you know, before that it was an iPod, 80 gig iPod. Before that it was, you know, a CD player, cassette player and all that. I've never had music. It's always been books on tape from CDs to the 80 gig iPod to my iPhone. And, and even on, uh, you know, uh, on iTunes right now, I have no music. It's all, I, it's all, uh, podcasts. So I listen to podcasts. I watch videos. I read books. Um, and I'm constantly learning, constantly developing myself. Um, so most of my mentors have come from books. You know, I read rich dad, poor dad. Uh, that was the book that opened my mind to having businesses that created cash flow to invest in other assets. That's where I learned that. I, I didn't know that. Uh, nobody taught me that. Nobody told me that I read rich dad, poor dad. And I said, Hey, this sounds like a great idea. I've got a construction company. Uh, let me go do a landscaping company. Let me go do an electrical company. Let me go do a painting company. So I had all these companies um, that were providing cash flow that I used to invest in these other deals. And I also learned, you know, as, as I grew and, and started creating relationships and working around other people that were better and smarter than me, I learned that that's what most of these other guys do is that most of the successful real estate developers and investors that I was around, a lot of them had other companies. And they were using their profits and their cash flow. They weren't putting it back in the company. They were putting it in real estate. And, uh, you know, some companies, you know, depending on the structure of it, uh, reinvesting profits back into the business isn't the best thing to do. It doesn't make the most sense. It's not the highest uh, return on the investment dollar. Sometimes it's better to use it for other things. So that's where I got that idea. And then I read um, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, um, outstanding book. And, um, and then I read The Power of Positive Thinking, Norman Vincent Peale, and both of those talk about masterminds, and, uh, and they talk about collective wisdom. So 
The other thing that I've been, even though I haven't had a mentor, not one individual, I have attended seminars, I bought books, courses, all of that, uh, but I've never hired a personal coach or mentor. I've always learned from others um, by doing deals with them and, uh, and reaching out to them that way and, and building relationships. So I got coached and mentored along the way by, you know, joint venturing with people and doing, doing deals with people. So, you know, that's kind of how I've learned. And then, then I do have some really good friends that I look, look to that are, you know, more spiritual and, and personal mentors in that regard. Um, I have had some spiritual mentors that have poured into me over the years, you know, from a faith standpoint and a very strong faith. And, and, um, I had a pastor that took me under his wing and, and helped me develop myself as a Christian leader in the community, um, and, and poured into me there. But, uh, on the business front, uh, most of it I learned by doing, and I learned it the hard way. So I've, I've got a very expensive education. The school of hard knocks. No, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, now our core message in our shows to leave our families, communities, and the world better than we found it by passing down yeah, a mindset, values and principles to future generations, not just money. So Greg, if you cannot pass on any money to future generations and we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? Um, so say that again. Uh, just three principles to pass on to the next generation for them to, uh, if you cannot pass on any money to, uh, to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? Well, um, you know, so from a, a financial standpoint, so right, from a spiritual, spiritual point, you know, happiness and success comes from within, right? So, so you can't buy that. Um, there, there is no amount, amount of money that will, will make you happy. That has to come from within. But uh, in terms of financial prudence, um, I would say number one is you want to make sure that uh, your number one goal is to generate passive income uh, to take care of your day-to-day needs so that you can, you can live life um, stress-free and, and without pressure. You want to be debt-free if you possibly can and as quick as you can. And what you want to do is cultivate a... Um, a mindset of generosity, be a cheerful giver and learn how to build a legacy of giving and, um, and make that part of your philosophy of financial prudence is always look, you know, instead of, I want to make X amount of dollars. I always look at it and say, I want to give X amount of dollars because in order to give X amount of dollars, I have to make X amount of dollars. And I love uh, supporting charities and, and organizations and nonprofits and, and doing things like that. So I always seek first, to serve and give, and then I build everything else around that. But so I guess that would be the three things. Number one, be happy with yourself and who you are, where you are. Number two, be debt-free, get out of debt as quick as you can and stay that way and, uh, and, and have an income stream that takes care of your lifestyle so that you're not under pressure because cr- pressure creates bad decisions. And number four, make giving part of your legacy. Um, become a, a, a cheerful giver give regularly, give often, give as much as you can and teach your family and your kids um, how to give as well. And, um, you know, some of the wealthier families out there, you know, at the end of the day, end up creating these foundations and they get the whole family involved and they make decisions. Uh, even my kids, I make decisions with my kids where we're going to get money. And I talk to them about it and I let them, I let them be part of it. So uh, those are the three main things that I would say. Fantastic. And thank you for sharing them. Greg, where can my listeners learn more about you? Where can they follow you and where can they reach out? Um, yeah, where can they reach out if they're interested to, to get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. So my website is gregdickerson.com and all my information is on there. Uh, you know, I answer my phone. It's 
326-3903. That's my mobile phone. And like I said, I have no backlog in my life. I take care of everything as I, I go along. I'm very efficient and organized. So uh, on my website, gregdickerson.com, all my contact info, email, everything is there. And, you know, feel free to reach out anytime. I love meeting new people and talking. And, you know, I do mentor and coach people and I'd love to help uh, help people any way I can. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey and your knowledge and providing so much value for my listeners. Every time I have a conversation with you, uh, it's so valuable and I learn so much. So I appreciate you and appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me. And, uh, you know, I'd love to anytime uh, I'm always around. Life settlement investments have allowed financial and banking institutions to not only buy their equity contractually, but also diversify their capital from any economic, market, and geopolitical risk. It's been part of the billion-dollar blueprint followed by institutional investors. And if you're an accredited investor, you can also now participate in this vehicle with enormous growth potential. You can watch an informational webinar presented by one of the premier organizations providing life settlement investments for number of solutions at cashflowninja.com forward slash life settlements. Thank you again for joining me on the Cashflow Ninja. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here, please subscribe, rate, and write a review for our show on iTunes and share our show with family, friends, and your network. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at CashflowNinja.com. I want to thank you for spending your most precious resource with me today, your time. Until next time, my friend, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.